Just a quick warning that the beginning of this episode might be a little bit triggering. We are talking about helicopter crashes for the first part. So if you don't want to hear that, fast forward to 30 minutes into this episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Tuxedo Time. Where we were tuxedos. And it is time. Helicopter Podcast Edition. Oh, it's so long. <laughs> Look, it's a great title, okay? Fantastic. Okay. Fantastic right. title. So as if anyone's listening to this and they follow any of our content online, they know that helicopters are a large part of it because they are a large part of my life because mm-hmm. I'm a helicopter nerd. He loves helicopters. A rotor head, if you will. A rotor head. That is the nerdiest shit I've ever heard in my life. Do you have a t-shirt that says, I'm a rotor head? <laughs> I'd wear it if you bought me one. Well, merch. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, we thought it would only be fitting to kind of dedicate a full episode to helicopters, talking about them, telling a few stories, but also to kind of address... Yeah, so if anybody's listening to this and are hearing helicopters, they're probably, their mind is probably automatically knee-jerk reaction going to the Kobe Bryant helicopter crash. Which is very tragic. It is very tragic, and Mm -hmm. it shakes all of us anytime, not just Kobe Bryant, but anytime we hear about helicopter accidents... It just shakes you to the core mm-hmm. and it really, it's sobering. It gives you a reminder that bad things can happen mm-hmm. and that there's risk involved in anything you do in life. But particularly if you fly, you are taking on some risk. Right. Question is, you know, how much, how do you quantify that risk? And that's not an easy thing to answer. We did a whole video on this on how is it dangerous to fly helicopters? And I tried sort of answering it from a few different lenses on our YouTube channel. So mm-hmm. you can just Google that and find it. And interestingly enough, that video, if you look at the view stats, it's just like a few views, like a little baseline scribble and then spike in views the day that the Kobe Bryant helicopter crash happened. Because people were Googling, right. are helicopters dangerous? And I'm pretty sure if you Google that mm-hmm. and look in the videos tab, that our video is probably one of the top hits for that question. Well, I think that people wanted answers or they wanted to find some way to kind of cope with the news because obviously when helicopter accidents or any accidents like this happen, there aren't any, there's not a lot of information available right away because there's investigations that have to happen. And so I think that people kind of come to the internet and, you know, why did this happen? Was this pilot error? Was it weather? Was there a mechanical issue? And they want answers. Right. Or they even just kind of, I, I don't even think the general lay public will think into it in that depth. I mean, you think about it that way because in your mind, as as much as you don't like to admit it, you're a fairly analytical person. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> knowing about helicopters and what the number one causes for crashes, you automatically start parsing it into categories. Right. And unconsciously say, well, was it this? Was it that? Was it? And I think well, that in the end of the day, from our perspective, and this is really, I don't, I don't want this to come off in the wrong way, but I almost, I dread seeing helicopter crashes that were mechanical reasons. Yeah, me too. Because that is a reason that is totally unavoidable, out of your control. Right. Realistic. I mean, yeah, outside of not keeping up with routine maintenance, but realistically, that's a freak accident that could happen to anybody mm-hmm. but when you hear about the vast majority of accidents that you hear about actually are pilot error or it can be attributed to uh error of the pilot or poor decision making mm-hmm. or things like that so when we hear about that it's almost it helps me continue to operate the way i do as far as flying helicopters 
when I hear that the majority of crashes are pilot error because it gives you this sense of, well... It's something you can control. It's something I can control. And as long as I can make good decisions, then I will be less susceptible to those scenarios. Mm -hmm. And it's just a coping mechanism for us just the same way there's coping mechanisms for everybody Googling our helicopter's dangers and trying to figure out what happened with the accident. I think when there's mechanical errors that cause accidents, it can just happen randomly. And I think that's any accident is scary, but that's scary because it's so unknown. It could happen at any time. And so you hear somebody's engine quit and then right. it's in your head. There's no discrimination. Right. It it happened and there's no way you could have prevented it happening. Well, Versus, I mean, unless, well, unless you, auto, like, you can auto-rotate and things like that. No, so. but I mean, for you can't prevent the engine from quitting. No, you can't. No. Outside of regular maintenance. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so where we're kind of going with this is, you know, we've gotten a lot of people who have reached out. In fact, you know, whenever I wake up and my phone has a bunch of text messages from people I haven't really spoken to in a while, and they're just sort of these vague, oh, be safe out there. My first reaction is I know there was a helicopter crash. Yeah. And so I go to the Google and I search the news helicopter. And if, sure enough, you see what happened. And for people who live in Buffalo, um, it's, it actually was kind of struck very close to home because two guys from Buffalo who are businessmen here, um, actually recently died in a helicopter crash. Mm -hmm. And of course I woke up to that and then people texting me literally had people who thought it was me That's because scary. they heard yeah. about a crash. The people at work is like, Oh my God, that was you and Gary. They thought it was the two of us for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. But well, I mean, the helicopter type was similar to yours. It was an R66. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that, that shook a lot of people. It shook me. Mm -hmm. And you Same. know, I, these, these acts and then the Kobe Bryant thing happened. And of course that was on a much larger scale because mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant is such a massive figurehead in a lot of people's lives. Right. And people were, are, are really broken up over this because they, he's a celebrity, I think who people just feel really connected to because mm -hmm. he did a lot of work in the community. Right. And and, you know, really kind of had a, a, a lifestyle, the, the Mamba lifestyle. You know, I, I'm not really familiar with all of it, but I know people were very, um, felt very close to him for that mm -hmm. and all the stuff he's done. So, I, you know, I get people felt like they lost someone who was close to them. Right. And that's tragic. Anytime I hear about an accident, I get really shook, I think, um, because I overthink a lot and I'm, I'm worried a lot about that. And it's something I think about every time we fly. But the Kobe Bryant thing really shook me and I wasn't really a, a not that I wasn't a fan of Kobe, I was just not into basketball and stuff. Yeah. But I think the sheer magnitude of people tweeting about it, news outlets reporting on it, people DMing us about it, people texting us about it. It was almost like it was in your face for like three or four days straight, just like constantly. Oh, it was the only thing you saw. It was the only thing you yeah. saw. And so... But not only that, people literally DMing you, reaching out to you, tweeting at you, yeah. saying, oh, how do you feel about this? What, it, like, what are your thoughts on this? It's like, Or well, like, be safe, be safe. Yeah, it's like, how I feel about this is I'm terrified Shook. because it's in my face about someone dying, partaking in something that, that we I love. do. Yeah. yeah. And it's, what's crazy, like, this is the first time this has really happened to me, but like, I was very much affected by that for probably three or four days. I feel like I slipped into like a little bit of a, like depression almost about it because not only were like people messaging me and you're getting bombarded with all the stuff, but then you start to think about all of the times you've been up in the helicopter and who you've been flying with and where you've gone and like, and then the families who are affected by everybody, not just Kobe, but like everybody else who's in that aircraft. And it's kind of starts to eat at you. You know what I mean? And then you, you try to put it away and then people are like still like, it's want, hard to kind of, get out of your mind because it's 
in your face 24 seven on every platform. Exactly. So yeah, I was like shook, probably the most affected I've been about something like that in a long time for probably three, four, I couldn't work. I couldn't create. I spent a lot of time on the couch. It hasn't happened to me in a long time. Yeah, it's, it's tough too, because where you work from home and a lot of your window to the outside is for the internet. Mm-hmm. And when the internet is basically just flashing your worst fears in front of you, yes, it's very easy to spiral into, um, you know, anxiety and just kind of hole up, you know? Oh, absolutely. I had a lot of anxiety. I did a lot of thinking about, I had to like turn off everything and had to watch like shows to try to like get my mind off it. It was really, it really fucked me up. Obviously, I don't want us to come off as like we're complaining because something tragic happened to somebody else. No, like it's not it's, that. But I think I think what we're we're saying is that like tragedies like this kind of affect everybody in different ways, whether you're a fan of the person or you know the person or not. Yep. But then also like social media blowing it up and people kind of like asking you about it. It's kind of so fresh. Like you almost have to think about it from all different perspectives when you're reaching out to people about something like that. Yeah. But they, you know, they want people will reach out to us because genuinely they think that, you know, we're very close to that, that, uh, culture or the helicopter genre, if you will. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's something that very hits very close to home for us, but not only when this happens to high profile people like Kobe, but whenever we hear about all the accidents that you know, we hear about that none of these people that the lay public doesn't ever hear about. Right. You know, like all the times that we I hear about tons of crashes that nobody else hears about because they're not in the helicopter industry. Right. And like most people heard about the one in Buffalo recently or the one from the, with the two people from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt that that really made headlines anywhere else in the country. Yeah. So you know, it's scary. We all, we oftentimes hear about the accident, but you know, a lot of people want answers. Right. And I think that's the frustrating thing is that they don't realize how these, the, the, the due process that has to go into all of these, because mm-hmm. you know, the, the people who are responsible for investigating aviation related accidents is the NTSB or the national transportation safety board. And their reports take months to years to come out. So right. it's, it's this time frame where everything's fresh in the headlines where the accident happens. And then you don't get any answers till the a year, year 18 months later. Yeah. And then it's kind of like people have either forgotten about it. You know, I, I dare say that when, when the report comes out with Kobe, where he was such a high profile celebrity, it'll make headlines again. Mm-hmm. And you'll, people will get that answer and that closure. But oftentimes, you know, the helicopter accidents we hear about are just people who are normal people flying helicopters. I think, I think what it was is like listening to the radio call and then the tower not being able to contact the aircraft. And it was just like gone. And then he like radioed twice. And I think I kind of like put myself in to the helicopter yeah and then uh, and then i put myself into the tower as well mm-hmm. no i guess knowing like on all of our trips we're always on with tower or on with whoever mm-hmm. whoever's on the radio tower's probably not the right word but center you're always on with center or somebody mm. and i think that those radio calls are so familiar now yeah to you like they're saying like i i know what they're saying now you know and so to listen to that and just put yourself into the situation right yeah you, like you heard them saying a teleregistration like basically asking him come in yes and there was no response just radio silence yeah literally radio silence and i was just and you know honestly my brain was like holy fuck like they probably crashed and then i was thinking about the time during cold island when we were trying to radio and you're like i need to circle back around i need to tell her that we're okay on on the ground and then right because you, you lose you can lose radio communication if you're too low behind mountains just like that's and, that, and if anyone has done any digging that's they've that was what happened when they were trying to get flight following. They were trying to get radar services, but right. they were too low given the terrain. Right. Which kind of speaks volumes to 
what they were trying to do, trying to fly under a low ceiling mm-hmm. in a valley, which is called scud running, which is, you know, it's a well, it's a well-described phenomenon that's dangerous and that is done in poor weather, mm-hmm. you know? And so theoretically, you know, this whole thing probably happened because of poor weather, yeah. you know, following here in the radar, here in the radio, following the, um, their position reports, um, or following their, their GPS position coordinates from the public flight information available, you know, you can kind of piece it all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And seeing their track line stop when the radio people were, when the people on the radio mm-hmm. were trying to contact them, yep. it, was, it was, it was a lot, I think for, from, from that standpoint. And yeah. most people would probably watch that and not really have the context to really fully appreciate it. Yeah. But you with the experience of flying so much with me know how all that works. And it's just like, wow, that really like made that, it real. It happened. It was yeah. almost like watching it happen. Yeah. There were a few times on our trip where not that we were making unsafe decisions, but there were times where I was worried you, the couple of times that we had to put it down because of weather or whatever. And your mind automatically goes worst case scenario. Do you know your, what I mean? Your mind does. Mine yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that my mind does too, but I also try to take into consideration what are the chances of this happening and what other provisions do we have in place to, to as right. a backup? So I think about these worst case scenario things happening and then we end up on the ground and we're fine. But this time, worst case scenario was happening for them and they did not end up on the ground and they were not fine. And I think that, and then I went to bed. Yeah. And that was a bad idea. I shouldn't have even listened to the radio call. Mm-hmm. Like I shouldn't have put myself in the position. I shouldn't have thought about all of the times that we were in the aircraft where, you know, I think that's also kind of my fault because I'm the type of person, well, I was listening to it because I was curious as to what I could, information I could glean from it and use it as a learning experience to try to improve future things. Mm-hmm. And I can just compartmentalize it away, put it away and go to sleep. Yeah. And it didn't even affect me after that. It was like, yeah, this is very tragic, tragic and mm-hmm. it's sad, but you know, let's look at it from the lens of what can we learn from it. Yeah. But I think that you have a, a bit of more of an emotional response to things than I do, mm-hmm. to say the least. Definitely. And, well, I... And you and I, we watch, not that we watch like tragic helicopter crashes, but we do watch this channel where this guy kind of walks through certain crashes. Helicopter Online Ground School. Yeah, we, we watch that. Yeah. And, and I watch it with you, even though I don't like to watch it because it scares me. But a lot of times we've seen him talk about crashes and those visuals get burned into my skull. Oh my God. Yeah. K- Kenny from, uh, from Helicopter Online Ground School, he did a video over, um, which was looking at a, uh, footage of a Brazilian helicopter pilot taking two newlyweds. I can't, I can't talk about it. And there's a GoPro that was rolling mm-hmm. and he flew. It was, it was probably the only, it's the only time I've ever seen a crash from it. You hear about something called inadvertent IMC. So inadvertently flying into instrument meteorologic conditions, meaning basically you fly into a cloud and it just goes white and you mm-hmm. can't see anything and you lose visual reference. Well, and that's what happened with Kobe, wasn't that's it? That's allegedly what people, that's the, the running theory, but okay. I can't, com- I'm not going to comment on what I, what happened because I don't know what happened. Right. You'll never know the full details. Even the NTSB won't know the full details, but until that official report is made, mm-hmm. it's all speculation. Yeah. But the leading all signs point to that's probably what happened. Yeah. Actually, our friend Misha from BC Helicopters did a really good video about why helicopters crash. And he kind of like gave his thoughts and explained about what inadvertent IMC is and all this yeah. stuff. So I'll link that in our, our show notes if you guys want to like learn more about that. Because I don't think we need to get into that here. Um, but if you guys do want to watch it, if you go to beckyandchris.com slash podcast and just find the episode number that this is, you'll see the link to that video yeah. um, there. But getting back to that video that, mm-hmm. that uh, Kenny was looking at, he was, 
he was kind of going through it and it was the first time I had seen footage of a real life, a real live instance where someone flew inadvertent IMC and it was fucking terrifying. I, it was terrifying. I cried and couldn't get the visual out of my head for a week. It was the pan. Like I had I can't panic. Even think about it. I had panic seeing it, mm-hmm. just watching it, knowing as a pilot that that's like your worst case scenario kind of mm-hmm. thing. And thinking, holy shit, like that is, that is scary. That is so scary. Well, with that video, they had newlyweds in the background, right? They did. So I, I think a lot of times there's this thing called get there itis mm-hmm. that it's, you know, you're, you're somewhere and home is like five minutes away and the weather's maybe not so great. Normal day you wouldn't fly, but you want to get home. So you go anyway and you end up fucking dying. And I think that's what happened in that wedding case. Like a lot of times there's pressure on the pilot to Deliver Just get the, the mission done. Get the mission done. Yep. Deliver the bride and groom to the wedding, yeah. no matter what cost. And unfortunately, at that, I don't know what the details were on that crash, but it looked like an inverted IMC, get their itis, yeah, crash, there's, there's, everybody died. We'll never know. And that's the thing. People, there's always going to be an element of speculation because you'll never know what's going through that pilot's mind at that given time. Mm-hmm. Did they lock up, freeze up, and they just start panicking? They didn't know what to do. Was there pressure from the was people there, who were in the aircraft? Right. And I mean, they're paying customers. So when, anytime there's someone who's bringing, you know, anytime there's a transaction involved in anything in life, there's going to be a power differential where someone has, uh, someone has the clout in the, in the transaction. Mm-hmm. And usually it's the paying customer. Yeah. So these pay, these these people probably came to this guy, you know, to this instance, this uh, outfit and said, we want to get helicoptered into our wedding. Mm-hmm. And this guy might've thought, oh my God, if I don't get these people to their wedding, my boss is going to fire me or these people are going to spread bad stuff about my company. If that guy was the owner, who knows what was going on, but mm-hmm. there's all sorts of power. There's sort of power gradients behind the scenes that you don't know. Right. Something like that could have happened with Kobe. You know, I couldn't even begin to imagine what it was like to have a guy like Kobe Bryant in the back saying, get me to this spot. Now, Along with nine other passengers. Right. Now, I'm not saying that Kobe pressured him because we'll never know that. Right. But there's definitely a, you know, it could have been like, oh my God, if I don't, this, it could have been Kobe was the nicest guy and didn't give any pressure, but this guy created this scenario in his head where it's like, oh my God, if I don't get Kobe to this spot, I'm going to be fired. Yeah, or who knows? These are all just dragged on the internet because it's the thing that happens now. Right. So you, you'll never know what's going through people's minds. Right. All we can say though is that People are found flying in situations that were subpar conditions mm-hmm. that they probably shouldn't have been flying in. And ultimately, that's what comes down to why they're flying in it. We'll never know. But it could be a bunch of those factors we talked about. It could be, like you said, get their itis. The other thing that people don't talk about as much, I feel like, is, is getting tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. And when you make a decision, a go, no-go decision, you're on the ground and you're making that decision. Yeah. So you say, okay, the weather at this point is acceptable. I'm going to fly. So you make that go decision. You might fly, you know, 10 miles north and the weather is completely different, Mm -hmm. but all your weather stations that you're being presented with information, oh, it's saying I can fly because the weather's good, but look out the window. Yeah. It's not good. And if it's not good, then you don't fly. Yeah. And, but that's the problem is, is that people have a hard time, um, accepting new information that will go against something they've already accepted in their mind. And that's that they made a go decision. Right. Yeah. So maybe that's another factor in that complete that played into the whole whole crash. Certainly could have played into the the crash for that one that Brazilian pilot because when they took off at the beginning of the video, blue sunny skies, they depart whatever way they departed and then, you know, in a few minutes they're in essentially fog. Yeah. And unfortunately that guy, 
he was given multiple chances to turn around. Where it was it like five got foggy. minutes of that video where he was just yeah, kind of got foggy. And... Then the, the visibility improved a little bit, and like you almost can see in his head, he's probably thinking maybe, oh, it's getting better. I'll just punch through make through this one pocket, and I'll be fine. Exactly, and that's yeah. the da- that's the slippery slope. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're dead. Conditions went from poor visibility to no visibility, mm-hmm. and then it was a matter of you know less than a minute or two, and they, they were on the ground, crashed. Yeah, it's really tragic and. Every time it happens, I think about them, families, extended families, friends, and of course fans, if it's somebody famous. But I mean, all we can really do is learn from them and just remember that we need to make safe and cautious decisions, like flying in bad weather, get their itis, it's checking in with ourselves and hey, if we weren't in a rush to get to this place, would we actually fly through this? Or you know, I mean, what is it that they say? Like, if you want to get somewhere, you don't fly general aviation. Yeah, it's like if if you have a time constraint, mm-hmm. then don't fly general aviation because you're going to get uh, out outside of having being IFR rated, having an IFR certified aircraft, and just flying instrument. Which yeah. you know, we got like a buddy Matt Gutmiller who uh, flies IFR all the time in his mm-hmm. in his uh, in his Bonanza, which is a plane. Yeah, and he just goes, you know, he'll go as long as you know the conditions are are good from a safe standpoint like there's not you know the icing isn't bad or the, there's not thunderstorms or convective um cells around then you know he'll fly mm-hmm. but he's rated to do that and that's that's right. the way he operates mm-hmm. you know helicopters while they can be ifr rated um you can fly by instruments but generally speaking most helicopter operations where they're so low to the ground anyway that you know most people are, are vfr pilots you do a little bit of ifr training here and there like i did some ifr hours simulated ifr when i was in flight school mm-hmm. but you don't go searching out you know, instrument conditions just to do it for real, unless that's part of your, you know, your normal day-to-day business, which a lot of people, that's not the case. Right. And our aircraft is not IFR rated anyway. You can't fly IFR in our aircraft. Right. It's, it's not certified for that. Right. You're only really doing that training in case you accident, like it's not so accidentally, you, but if there's an emergency and that happens that you kind of know how to fly instrument, get yourself yeah, out of this it. This is your last ditch effort. And then a lot of people were, you know, and kind of getting back to the Kobe thing, a lot of people are asking me like, well, like, why didn't he why didn't he fly by his instruments? Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's like, well, for one, it depends on a lot of factors, but if you if you haven't practiced instrument flying in a long time, you're probably pretty rusty, not to mention you're disoriented because you're flying by a visual reference. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you go into clouds, you get a, a completely sideways attitude where you're, you know, rolling to the side, you're pitched up or pitched down your airspeed and you're, you're, you're ascending or descending spread. You don't know where you are. And then you have to orient yourself, yourself with the instruments figure out what the aircraft's doing and then write correct all of those instruments you know right. level the rotor disc and you add um, stress and, and uncertainty and panic right because you can't see anything right and oh by the way you have no idea if you're flying into a a, uh, a mountain because you're flying below the mountaintops because you're scud rutting trying to stay under the weather right so already you're like only you know probably a couple hundred feet above terrain mm-hmm. so you don't even have time to to fix all of those things and readjust into an instrument mindset and, you know but people say like well why didn't he just fly instrument? It's like, well, I mean, you could have say that. He, but... It is, yeah, it's very easy. But you know, you have to. You would have had to file an IFR. He would have had to fi- know he was doing that from the beginning, right? In order to do it the proper way, they made the decision to fly visual. They didn't make the decision to, to file an IFR flight plan, mm-hmm. which I don't even know if that was a realistic option for them. If he was rated, I don't know the details of that, so I can't speculate. But right. um, you know, he would. And one more one more point to that is that if you're flying IFR. 
you're going to be at a minimum safe altitude, which was thousands of feet above where they were. Because yeah, you're not going to run into ground because there is no terrain at that height. Right. But if he wanted to all of a sudden, quote unquote, transition to that style of flying, mm-hmm. he, he would have had to gain a massive amount of altitude in a very short period of time to get out of harm's way. Right. And that might just, just might not have been possible. Mm-hmm. So a lot to think about. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's emotional for, from a lot, for a lot of different reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, all we can do is try to, you know, make safe decisions. Yeah. You know? And and one one more point too to the fact that I can talk on this for hours, by the way. But yeah. you know, we'll we'll spare you guys. But you know, when when you're thinking about making a go no go decision, you're trying to synthesize a lot of uh, tons of variables, all of which are not binary. It's a spectrum. It doesn't go. It's not either good or bad. It's good transitioning to bad. And there's, there's a lot of times it's a lot of variables that are right in the middle Mm -hmm. and you're trying to synthesize all of that information into a binary go, no go decision. Right. So it's, it's, it's not black and white Mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. And making decisions when you have those variables, it, it comes down to human intuition and that's why there's so much variability and, you know, that's, you can almost see like, oh, well, it's easy to say, oh, he made a poor decision because he shouldn't have been flying, but he's really the only person that can say if he should have been flying or not. Right. You know, now his human decision-making factors may have a lot of other variables that factor into that as well. You know, like his risk tolerance, you know, different attitudes. They teach, talk, talk about like macho attitudes in flight school, things like that, things to watch out for. But there's a lot of variables. And, you know, we, we've flown in, in conditions that were less than VFR before. Mm-hmm. It's just part of, you know, it's, it's part, you, you can make a decision that you're only going to fly with visual, with, with when your minimums are above VFR. And that's fine but you're going to have more days than not that you won't be able to fly. So, you right. know, there's things like, you know, people don't, when talking about visibility, it's not just visibility, it's, it's your ceiling as well. Mm-hmm. So when you have, and, and generally speaking, if you have really poor conditions, both are going to be poor, in which case you, you, you probably shouldn't fly. But visibility is how far you can see, how far into the distance you can see. Mm-hmm. So how hazy it is. It's like for anyone who's a photographer on this, it's like lowering the contrast slider. Yeah. And things become fuzzy and hazy. That's something that I realized or that I learned when we were doing our cold island trip because I always thought like if it's not perfectly clear, the, visib- the visibility is bad. And there's a lot of times where it was hazy and I was like, oh, the visibility isn't so great. And you're like, you can see 10 miles. It's just a bit hazy. Like you can see the outline of the ridge. Right. We're, we're used to flying in, in great sunny days with unlimited visibility. But like mm-hmm. where I learned to fly in Vancouver, visibility was borderline VFR the days that we, I was flying as a student. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, it's three miles. But it, three miles actually looks a lot hazier than what you would think. Right. But that's sort of the the, the minimum they've arbitrarily chosen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, I think it was the weather station was report, near him and for Kobe's accident was reporting 2.5 miles. Right. Which anyone who's flown in 2.5 miles, it's 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 not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you can kind of see, you can slow it down. And but that's also just the that's the closest airport. Mm-hmm. You know, eyewitness testimony says it was really misty where they actually crashed. Right. So that's, again, saying like the guy might have seen, oh, okay, well, it's 2.5 miles. I've flown in this before. Not really taking into consideration. You, know, you look out the window and it's far less than 2.5 miles. You know, mm-hmm. the weather where you are is the weather. Yeah. You really have to use your visual reference, right. as you said, at to make your decisions. There's been so many times where we've been out and weather is whatever. And then you look around, hey. Not so great. This is we'll not on the ground. Re- this was not reported where we departed from and not reported where we're going to. This is in between where there's no information. The only information you have is what's outside. Yeah. So, you know, and then kind of getting back to ceiling. So ceiling is how low the clouds are. Mm-hmm. So if you've got mountainous terrain and you've got low ceiling, you've only got a small narrow window that you can fly through. And then if you get mountain obscuration where the ceiling literally touches the mountains, 
you, you, there's nowhere to, there's no past there's no path through then right so that's that's called scud running when you're going through little valleys trying to f- stay stay you know above terrain but below clouds mm-hmm. at now you know it's, it's one thing to you know everyone's seen cloudy days where the clouds are really low and you look up you know oh, there's the cloud layer a lot of times it's very easy to see the cloud layer now add in lower the contrast slider mm-hmm. add in poor visibility on top of that and now the cloud layer becomes very obscured yeah it's like lower the contrast slider and then lower the dehaze slider and the clarity slider. Right. And now all of a sudden you can't really be sure where the clouds start and stop. And all of a sudden you've got it when you've got poor visibility and poor low ceiling. Now mm-hmm. you've got to re- end your low kind of low to the terrain. You've got a, a, a trifecta, a recipe for disaster. And then you put mist on top of that. So you've got like build up on your bubble as well. Oh, if you have precipitation. Yeah. And if you have precipitation on the bubble, that's also obscuring things too. So mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of factors. And so, you know, we've, we've flown when the ceiling's low and we've flown when the visibility has been, you know, not quite vfr but i get very nervous when i see the visibility drop Mm -hmm. um i'm not so nervous about low ceilings because realistically we're in a helicopter we're probably flying pretty low anyway compared to a fixed wing person yeah well we can the the thing that's different about fixed wing and rotary wing rotary wing rotary wing rotary rotary wing rotary wing yeah is that we can the visibility gets bad we can put it down wherever we want right and even if that's in somebody's firm and they said oh you can't land your helicopter here like hey man it's like an emergency you know you you do what you got to do and that's kind of the the nice thing about flying helicopters is that if that does happen you can land wherever and you've been taught that it's like if you're not comfortable put the damn helicopter on the ground yeah and i think too like a lot of people will probably see us landing frequently for that and i think that most of the content people see that's from us is from our cold island trip and i think that's a little bit different because in cold island where we literally had hundreds of miles between reporting weather stations Mm -hmm. so you know we made a go decision and then you know 100 miles north of the weather is completely different yeah and a lot of spaces that we were flying through didn't even have radar so you couldn't even see a weather forecast it was literally flying with what you see is what you get. You look out the window, what you get. So I think a lot of the times we landed there um, or landed during that trip, it was because of that. And a lot of people will say like, oh, well, what you should have done is made a better decision on the ground and made a no-go decision uh, rather than making a go decision and then changing it. Mm-hmm. But I, my, my, my sort of rebuttal to that is we made a go decision based on the information that was available. Like a lot of these people who, are, who would say that, would they're all used to flying in the US with tons of weather stations reporting weather, you know, with, with high resolution mm-hmm. and being able, and always having radar, always having this, but we're literally flying where radar doesn't exist. Right. So you're, you're making these decisions based on what information you have. But I think, and also too, you know, I, from the get go, I, it's been ingrained in my head. Like if you're not comfortable, just land the helicopter. Mm-hmm. So I think we have, I have a lower threshold for landing than a lot of maybe more seasoned pilots would Yeah. just because I, it's been ingrained in my head. It's like, it's okay to touch your skids down, deal with it later. If you know, do it in a safe manner. Right. But you know, no one's going to get mad at you if you didn't feel comfortable in the air. I think too, like the first time we put it on the ground, because I, when you're flying and, you're, and you know you can put it on the ground, but you haven't yet, it's a little bit of a weird thing. But when you put it on the ground for the first time, you're like, okay, this is fine. It's just doing an off-airport landing. It's yeah. like we do that all the time anyway. And it becomes a little more normal and you get more used to it. And then you become more comfortable with saying, hey, I can put it on the ground over here. Right, because, But that's a good thing because it doesn't yeah. mean that you should be more comfortable with flying in shittier weather. No. It just means you should be more comfortable with taking the safe option. Exactly. All okay, right. I think we've beaten this to death. Yeah. I think uh, we're just going to take a quick break. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about helicopters, but we're going to lighten it up a little bit after the break. Okay, let's lighten this conversation up a little bit. 
Um, we were just talking about Cold Island, but um, we had like a really interesting story that kind of happened um, during that trip that we didn't film because, of course, we were filming the series. So anybody doesn't know um, what Cold Island is, it's a helicopter travel series that we produced. We flew the helicopter from Buffalo, New York, all the way back to Newfoundland, Canada. And we made a series on it on our YouTube channel. So check that out in the link in the show notes. But, you know, we, we filmed six episodes and we ended at our last destination in Newfoundland. I think, I think a couple of people were curious, like, oh, why didn't you show us, show yourself going home? Right. I think showing us going home would have been redundant, but ending it at Carpoon Island felt right to us. It felt like we made it to the destination we we're trying to make it to. It was the last one. I just felt like a, to end it on a high was like... Yeah, it was a grand finale. We didn't think we were going to... We didn't know if we were going to be able to make it there. We were able to, and that was kind of like ending on a high note. Yeah. And we had like filmed a lot. So we kind of ran out of card space. We had like every hard drive filled. We had every card filled. So we decided not to film ourselves going back. We didn't want to delete redundant backups in case... Just in case something happened. Yeah. And the trip back was definitely a lot easier for the most part until this one I evening. I feel like it went so much faster. It did. Well, it's so funny because like coming back from Blanc Sablon, Blanc, we're like, once we made it to the next airport and we're like, okay, we got past that patch where we had to camp on the rock. Yeah, where we, there was no radar, where, where there was minimal communication, yeah. Yeah, so we finally got past that and we are like, okay, we're in the clear. We've made it past like the bad part where we don't know any information about anything. Um, and so we're flying back. We were in sort of... Uh, rural Quebec just we were north we were in the mountains north of Quebec City yeah we were so close we thought that night we were like we're best kind we're gonna make it to Quebec City sleep in a hotel we're gonna come into Quebec City and just at sunset yeah never have to camp now once we make it to Quebec City we're basically clear all the way to the US so meanwhile we have radar coverage again and by radar I mean you can see precipitation on the map and I was like you know what there's some convective storms there's some thunderstorms which are sort of in front of us but they're 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 traveling perpendicular to us, and there's two cells basically that are spaced out. And I was like, based on the rate they're moving, the rate we're moving, we'll probably be able to thread the needle right through the middle of them, mm-hmm. uh, and just not even have have it no conflict. Yeah. But as we got closer and closer, and we were about 15 minutes away from the airport, mm-hmm. which is like nothing. And it was getting dark, and we were flying over yeah. mount a mountain. Yeah, so it, it wasn't getting dark. It was get, it was becoming into the evening where the light was getting lower. So right. the, the 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 yeah, so the light wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we watched the the you know the thunderstorms on the radar, it became apparent that they actually were converging together. So there was no more hole to kind of get through them. So I can I can picture I can picture this night perfectly, like. Yes, those things were happening, but let me just like paint a picture of leading up to this, okay? So it's kind of like raining on and off. We're seeing like storms in the in the like far away where you see these like huge rain clouds. Like they look crazy from the sky because there's these massive clouds and you can see the rain. It's like lines that attach the clouds. To like the, on the horizon. On the horizon. Yeah, like w- way far away, way like 50 far miles away. away. So we're seeing that on one side. Then on the other side, we're getting this beautiful golden light, these like weird low patches of misty clouds like in tufts of like clouds in the forest it's magical and so we're flying over and then it's like kind of mountainous and there's some like wind farms happening and there's like some forestry roads and stuff and it's getting a little darker and it's beautiful i just hit my mic stand sorry and it's um it's beautiful and then you know suddenly we're looking at the radar these storms are converging on the fore, like far, far away. We're seeing a little bit of lightning, but in front of us. In front like of us, we're not in. We're not in it. No, it's well in front of us. There's no conflict there. Yeah, but we're like fuck. Well, then we realize it's like we can't really go around them because they're too large, 
And we, we don't have time to go around them either because it's getting darker. Right. And we can fly in the dark, but I don't want to fly in the dark if I don't have to, especially if there's... Over rural areas. Yeah, where there, where, where, yeah exactly. Where there's no lights on the ground. And mm -hmm. also when there's known thunderstorms around. Like, it's just not a good idea. It's not a good situation you want to set yourself to, to be in. Right. So we called it early while the light was still good. We said, hey, you know what? This is not worth the risk. We yeah. don't want to get us, ourselves into a situation where we're trying to find a place to land in the dark and there's no light. So we decided, let's just put it on the ground. Yeah. And so we but found there was that real thing where it's like, oh, should we like we could we're 15 minutes away we're so close in your mind. You're thinking I can probably just push through and just get there. But then it's like, oh, there's and, lightning in there. Like, no, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. And, and it's like, but the things that are going through your mind are mm -hmm. like, well, I'm gonna have to camp out tonight in the rain. Could have a could have a nice uh, hotel bed and yeah, I'm <laughs> starving. Got to use the bathroom and yeah. like that. Those it all yeah, plays. But those, you know. You, you think on the ground when you're trying to, again, getting back to our previous discussion, you're trying to like, you're thinking when you're on the ground, you're, you're making a sort of a um, armchair decision, you know, armchair pilot decision. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you should have done this, should have done that. But like when you're in the thick of it, yeah. oh, and you're also trying to fly the aircraft too. So you're, you're, some of your mental capacity is tied up with actually some, flying. A lot. Yeah. So it's, there's a lot of variables. Yeah, yeah. But again, I, we have no problem just saying, you know what, not worth the risk. Dude, we were seasoned at that point. We had done two camping like moments. We had landed the helicopter in multiple rural locations through the trip. So we were like pretty confident that we we're like, oh, this is nothing. We camped before. Like, yeah. We were like, we don't want to camp right now, but we're going to camp right no. now. So. And again, and people will say like, you know, well, you maybe you shouldn't have made a go decision if there's any thunderstorms. Like, well, that's, you know, that's your, your, your opinion. But there's it's one of those situations where like we have flown in, in those instances before where it all just yo the the convective current or the the thunderstorms you know they keep a normal trajectory mm -hmm. and you're able to avoid them yeah and you just keep flying and you're literally in blue sunny weather the whole time so if you don't if, if, if you make a decision not to fly anytime there's any thunderstorms anywhere around you, you never fly no we would never have made that we've never made it made it to newfoundland no so it's it's all again it's all these synthesizing these variables making risk benefit decisions mm -hmm and being okay with, with, with not forging ahead if, if, if you're not comfortable. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so we radio into Quebec, tell them we're going to land because it's getting bad, right? Yeah. So we're circling around and we're looking for a place. We found this like beautiful red circular patch. It was almost like nature's helipad, but it wasn't because it was like some logging road or something. I think they were logging roads, yeah. Yeah, so we finally, after we circle around, we get the radio call and we're circling a couple of times to make sure that they know that we're landing and that we're well, safe. Well, the thing and too, because we were communicating with them with flight followings. So they were following us on the radar. So if all of a sudden we land and now we're below the hilly terrain and we can't contact them on radio. They're going to send As far as they know, they assume that we crashed. Right. So we've got to basically make sure we're high enough to get um, radio communication. Uh, we also have to close our flight plan too. Mm -hmm. So we had to do that. And then by the time we get all that done, we, you know, we, we then landed. Okay. So we're, we're landed. Yeah. We're in this, like, it's like this cutout of a hill. So the sides were kind of like up high. It was almost like a, a, it's like small, a ditch. It was like a ditch. Yeah. But it yeah. was like a circular ditch. Yeah. And so it was like this perfect place. We land the helipad. If you guys want to see some photos, I'll put them in the show notes, beckingchris.com slash podcast episode five or six or whatever the fuck this podcast number is. Um, so we're landed in this like ditch and the walls are kind of high and it's dark now. Like by the time we get it on, we shut it down. Rain comes in. We wait out the rain a little bit. By the time it goes, it's dark. We got to get the tent set up. So. Meanwhile, now it's starting to rain. Yeah. So well, it's, it, it, it rained and then it stopped. Yeah. And then. But like just sprinkling, not like not that bad. Right. Not that bad. And so we're like, okay, well, we should probably get out and like set up the tent. And so we're like, all right, we'll, we'll do it now. So we start pulling out the, the tent. And at this point in the trip. Like, as you can imagine, if you guys ever saw a photo of how much shit we had in the back of the helicopter, 
at that point we give no fucks we were just throwing shit in there so everything was super disorganized the tent was on the bottom sleeping bags were on the bottom stuff was just like thrown in and so we're trying to get everything out of the helicopter and lightning in the sky but also torrential downpours no lightning first okay lightning we got to get this tent up come on we got to get the tent up before it starts raining so we fucking throw the tarp out we start putting it up the rain starts a little bit we gotta go we gotta go torrential fucking downpour happens we're like got the tent not even set up it's like thrown out it was like someone turned a faucet on a hundred percent it was like it was like a shower with high pressure. So with those thunderstorms that we talked about in the horizon were now over us. <laughs> yeah, and we were getting soaked. It was dark. Our tent was getting wet and we were trying to like set this tent up and like couldn't get the poles in the tent and we're like trying to throw like the fly over the top of the tent because the fly was off yeah. and the tent was getting wet inside. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the number one rule of survival is like, don't get wet. And we both had our like puffy winter coats on and they were soaked. Like I could wring it out it was like wet through to my skin. Do you remember? <laughs> I was so uncomfortable. Oh my God. And I, we were flipping out at each other. Like that was the first time in the trip. I feel like that we really were not happy with each other. Well, I think it, the that came because you were you were more scared after we got wet than we were when you were, than when you were when we were in the air. Yeah, because I was, well, A, I was worried that when you get wet and you're in the wilderness, and you don't know how cold it's going to be because it wasn't warm. It was no, summer, but we had warm. microfiber towels to get dry. I know we did. But sometimes you're like, if I get to a point where I'm like shivering and freezing and I can't get my temperature back, then I'm going to start to feel really sick. That's what happens to me anyway. If I can't get my temperature warm, then my stomach starts to hurt and then I start to feel sick. It's really difficult for me to get back into the helicopter at a certain point and fly if I'm feeling like that. So all I could think of was like, okay, I'm going to be wet and cold and I'm not going to be able to dry off. I'm going to be freezing. I'm not going to be able to sleep. Therefore, I'm going to feel sick. And then in the morning, we had to get up and fly and I had to be co-pilot and pack the thing. And if I'm feeling sick, I have nowhere to use the bathroom. I have no way to eat really because it was pouring and we didn't want to like cook out in the wetness. So it was just like, my just mind went there and my yeah. anxiety so kind of got me, the best of me. When I'm in the air and things aren't proper and I made a decision to land, as soon as I land, I'm like, oh, it's great. It's fine. Yeah. yeah whatever. I'm a little bit wet. No worries. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You didn't give a shit. So anyway, so we get the tent set up finally. It's pouring. And we like, we're trying to bring all of the stuff that we need into the tent. And all I can think of was like, there's open food in the helicopter. Like we're in the middle of the woods. There's going to be a bear. The bear's going to attack the helicopter. We're going to have no way to get out of here. There's wolves <laughs> in the forest. There's a killer in the night in the forest going to come murder us in our sleep. Oh, the number of times I heard you say, what was that? Did you hear that? I was like, no, but I didn't hear anything. I didn't sleep a fucking wink. But yeah, we oh, did. I slept we, like a baby. I know you did. Every night we camped, you slept like a baby. But we had those microfiber towels, which is great because we brought them in and wiped off everything. And we had one to dry up the tent floor and one to dry up us. And the next morning we hung out all of our wet clothes on the helicopter while we like packed up the tent and everything was like soggy and stinky. And that <laughs> night we didn't, like we were both starving, but it was pouring. So we couldn't really fire up like the stove and then we didn't want to cook inside the tent because generally it's not a really good idea to cook food where you're sleeping but also like an open flame inside your tent sounds like a problem (laughs) actually yeah that and also like carbon monoxide poisoning so we just didn't eat we had like a couple of snacks maybe like a granola bar or something so i was fucking starving oh yeah and i had to pee i peed in the woods but um oh god we were starving so we woke up it was like what time did we wake up like five o'clock we woke up early it It was was probably just after sunup it was just at yeah because i remember taking a photo of you um 
doing it doing the di the helicopter and the sun was low like coming through and yeah. there was like rain all over the bubble and everything was wet but it was like yeah, beautiful. link to the photos in the show notes yeah it's beautiful so we packed up and the sun was out and thankfully visibility and ceilings were all good but there were these like low tufts of clouds again like sucking down into the mountains like we were able to get up and out over these like cloud tops and we could see perfectly but you know had we waited i don't know if that kind of would have sucked in and could have yeah i don't know but do you remember the feeling of like landing at quebec city and using the bathroom and then getting in the cab and going to a and w and having breakfast oh my god the breakfast the hot breakfast oh at a and w when you're hungry oh my god i mean a and w breakfast is wicked anyway <laughs> but when you're starving and you get a dirty old hash brown and a fucking sausage <laughs> breakfast sandwich and a coffee and shit jesus after you spent the night in the cold dark woods yeah oh my god that night though yeah see for me like i don't have that emotional or sp- just to me it was like we did what we needed to do it was kind of it was kind of a fun little adventure but the look on your face right now yeah it's priceless fine yeah, it's like it is what it is we did it yeah. but i think we flew home that day we did that was a long ass day yeah because we had the breakfast we did fly home that day because i remember we went from like 15 17 degrees celsius very comfortable flying temperatures to like scorching heat scorching like 35 40 degrees celsius temperatures in buffalo because we flew the whole day yeah we flew and then we crossed the border that was the scariest border crossing too I don't know if it was because we crossed in a rural place, but they brought out like the drug dogs. They brought out like four or five like oh, they were like border patrol people. I thought book. That's that's also I find is like compare yeah going going to Canada versus the U.S. They're way more by the by like they're very they're very strict in the U.S. Like they always come out. They have like the the radiation detector. I guess to make sure you don't have a bomb or something on board. It's like, yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, they brought the drug dog out this time. Yeah, yeah, and we were waiting there for a while. And then we, yeah, we flew home and we were flying over like a thousand islands region, which was like really weird, but it was super hot. And I was wearing my ninja suit and I stunk because we, we both hadn't showered in like two days. And we were, I didn't stink. You stunk. Oh, I'm white and sweaty. So <laughs> I can't really say that. I have a sweating problem. I was disgusting. But yeah, that was a trip, man. Yeah. And we were just like, okay, our car is at the hangar right now. Oh, we were like, fuck that. I was starving again. Yeah. You were starving. You were hungry. I was hungry. All we I wanted had, was a cup of coffee and like a sandwich. We had a ton of crap in the back of the heli. <laughs> I was like, okay, so we're either going to land at the airport, transfer everything back into the car, then drive the car home, then transfer everything from the car into the house. Nope. Yeah, no. It's like, or let's just land right at the house and just transfer everything in and get some food right oh, away. God. We did. And so we landed at the house. And we took everything out. Everything was wet. We had to put everything out over the patio to dry out. Yeah. And we went and got food. And then we were so fucking lazy that we just left the helicopter on the lawn for like a week. <laughs> we were just like, fuck it. And yeah. it was so hot out there that like, remember like the thing oh, the adhesive, that, for, the, the adhesive yeah. for the fire extinguisher like melted off and yeah. like the fire extinguisher wouldn't stick in the thing. It's fixed now. But <laughs> oh God. Yeah. There was like spider webs and shit. Oh my God. Our poor little heli. Yeah. Poor heli. Well, anyway, fun little story time. Yeah, there you go. No one knows that story. No, I know that was the story. I'll share some pics. Probably I, would have been a good vlog. It, it probably would have been, but I don't think there's we could no have way filmed. We would have been, there's no way we would have been able to film it in panic mode trying to get this tent up in the rain. With that much rain, unless we had like headlamps that were waterproof and like and GoPros. Mo- and GoPros. That's yeah. the only way we could have done it. And we had no micro SD cards left. True. All right. All right we're there going to take a quick break. And then after the break, we're going to play a quick round of uh, Would You Rather. This is a new segment for us. Yeah, but I hate this segment because I love it. 
every time it's always like, would you rather eat shit or eat vomit? Well, what would you rather do? Go fuck yourself. We'll be right back. <laughs> okay, right back. Okay, we're back. We're going to play a real quick round of would you rather. Like I said, I hate this game because you always make me choose like the most disgusting shit. But uh, <laughs> we're just going to do two rounds each. Just end this episode on like a more positive note. A few laughs, hopefully, because it was a little bit of a heavier episode at the beginning there. So, um, okay, would you rather? Okay, who's going first? You can go first. Okay. Would you rather lose both legs or one arm? Jesus Christ tonight. That is really difficult. I'm going to go one arm. You go one arm? I really would like to be able to walk. Your right arm. Oh, that changes everything. <laughs> yes, cross day. Um, you had to make a decision in five seconds, or I'm going to cut off both arms and both legs. Five. I would take. I would choose my arm. Okay. And destroy. Yours are really gruesome compared to mine. Look, this is what you said. Would you rather no parameters except for vomit or feces? Yeah, you're not allowed to ask me if I'd rather eat shit or vomit because, like, ew, none. What would you rather, though? Okay, what would you rather? Well, you, gotta, you gotta tell me. Which I'm one. not telling you, but <laughs> you're gonna a, tell me. It's like a bonus. Would you rather in there? <laughs> we'll murder you in your sleep. Okay. Would you rather mm-hmm. eat a pickle or eat a cucumber? <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't contain myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's both. I hate both. Um, <laughs> ah. <laughs> you just pictured eating a pickle, didn't you? They're both. <laughs> why you do this, Kobe? Oh, your face. Yeah, they're both disgusting. I mean, not really. They're both pickles are amazing. I can tolerate, I think, cucumbers more, but I can also tolerate certain types of pickles that have a different type of pickle flavor more. Like I'll eat pickled vegetables all the time. I love them. Like mm, vinegar. You just don't like a dill pickle. Mm. Yeah, but for some reason, pickles that are, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Would you rather? Mm-hmm. Ew, I'm nervous. <laughs> Would you rather? Yeah have to fly the helicopter or have to be the interventional radiologist in this relationship? Oh my God. I would way rather fly the helicopter. Really? Yes. Ew. I would hate the idea of flying a helicopter. Did you see me in that one case that I was in filming and I almost passed out and Gary had to get me like orange juice and a cookie because I couldn't handle the sound of the tapping, the patient going, I'm not feeling really well. And then the smell of the kyphoplasty cement. I can't. The tapping of what, Becky? The spine. Describe to what your viewers. The what. tapping of the spine. You were doing a kypho, which is basically putting needles in the spine and then filling holes with cement. Am I right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. It's reducing compression fractures with balloons and then injecting bone cement. You were tapping. There was tapping. Yeah, they get the needles into the spine. Tapping somehow. the spine. Gross. Then there was the smell. I'm very sensitive to smells, by the yeah, way. Yeah, bone cement has a very like chemically smell to it. It was a lot. What would you describe it as? Like a... Pungent? <laughs> pungent odor is a, what I was going to say. acrid, pungent odor. I don't know what acrid means, but it was definitely like sharp. Yeah. And like... like would you call it th- like... Heavy. Like sharp cheese? No, it wasn't like cheese. It was like chemically <laughs> like chemical, heavy, chemically. like burny. Yeah, it was yeah. rank. And then I think to put it on... I think what triggered me the most is because I have a phobia of vomiting. The patient was still awake just under like drugs. Yeah, they're, they're under conscious sedation. So they're sedated, but they're still aware of 
their surroundings. Yeah. And I had a fucking panic attack. Everything just came over me. It was like the smell, the sounds, potentially vomiting, the heat, me trying to film. And then I was just like, I can't, like, I'm going to fucking die right now. And then I was wearing lead and a mask and the mask on my face. And the room gets kind of a little bit hot. The, it was very hot. So I would pick flying helicopters because if I, if you said, okay, you had to fly the helicopter, you didn't say how long. I could fly the helicopter for five seconds. Bye. No, that's not how it works. It would be equal duration for both scenarios. If I was really, if I really had an interest in helicopters, which I don't, I think that if I liked helicopters the way I like photography or design, I think I could do it. That's not the question. I don't like it. I didn't ask if you want to do photography or design. I really don't like it. Well. That's the whole point of this game, I'm picking helicopters because I think I don't, well, see, then you still have lives in your hand. True. It's True. just different. You just don't have sick patients. Yeah, I feel it, like it, it, it easy being me, Becky. Damn, you like pick a lot of really like high risk fucking hobbies and job career. I'm like, I do editing and then I paint walls sometimes. You do a great job at those. Thanks, babe. All right, next All right, question. Next question. Would you rather? <laughs> you can't even get it out. You can't even get it out without <laughs> Because without I'm picturing you. Would you rather hike with wet feet, like wet socks and wet boots, or hike with wet underwear? Not because of pee. <laughs> I was going to say, what is it wet from? <laughs> from falling down or like just getting it wet. Wet feet. Yeah? Yeah. Do you remember Do you remember when we rode a tandem bike? To... <laughs> Any memory? Do you remember that one time we rode a tandem bike? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how many? T- we've ridden so many tandem bikes. One, Tell me, which one? One time. We rode a tandem bike. It's <laughs> the only time we've ever ridden a tandem yeah, bike. Yeah, do you remember when we rode the tandem bike? Uh-huh to the lava mm-hmm. and how muddy and link to that youtube video in the show notes yeah remember when we got back our underwears were wet and full of mud <laughs> it's terrible there were rocks in my butt crack <laughs> i'm not kidding in the video i say there's rocks in my butt crack my underwear was wet with mud it looked like i shit myself well it's because you were on the back you were on the back seat where the... the, the oh, t- so you didn't have... What, underwear, so no, you, didn't you, pro- exper- wait, you protected me. Have you ever experienced what it's like to do an activity with wet underwear and rocks in your butt crack? I don't know if I've had rocks there, but... I've have had, you had wet underwear? Yeah, I have. It's not fun. When? I don't know. I'm sure I have at some point. You'd rather wet feet than wet underwear. You'd rather wet underwear than wet feet? No, I'd rather wet feet. Wait. Yeah, I'd rather wet feet. <laughs> you just proved your Yeah, own. I agreed with you. <laughs> you agreed with me. Is... All right, well, now that we're we're oh. on the same page for this one. Okay, well, anyway. I hope you guys enjoyed our first episode of Would You Rather. What a fucking roller coaster this episode was. Oh, my God. We went from the most serious to the least serious topics. Yeah, we went, yeah. We ended this shit off with rocks in your butt crack. <laughs> what is this? Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, um, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars only, please. It actually does help. Um, and let us know what you like about it. Also, if you have any suggestions about topics or games or even some questions for us, hit us up on Twitter at Becky and Chris. All right. See you next time.